make most of the current crisis. Uh, good day, everyone. Welcome to Bubble Shots. My name is Martin from the City Bubble Forum team in Sydney. City Bubble Forum runs Bubble Shots because we think the bubble has something relevant, important, and even essential for us to hear. So we set aside time during the challenges and the busyness of the week to consider what the bubble has to say. Uh, we call it Bubble Shots because like an espresso shot, they aim to be short, but have an impact and hopefully leave you feeling energized for the rest of the week. Not everyone who turns into Bible shots uh, is a follower of Jesus. Uh, you may never have opened the Bible before, but that's okay. Our speakers work to try and make, make the Bible accessible as possible. So long as you're happy to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you joining us. If you've never joined us before, it's a pretty simple meeting. Uh, we read part of the Bible, we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and then we have some time for Q&A. If you have any questions, send them through using the Q&A function on Zoom, or if you're joining us through Facebook, you can paste in the comment section. Uh, today, we're considering how to have confidence in the face of an uncertain future as we look at the words of one of Jesus' first followers. Uh, Lachlan Orr, who normally hosts Bible Shots, is going to be addressing the question, how can we have confidence in the face of uncertainty? How are you, Lachlan? Good things, Martin. Uh, good to be joining again today uh, and you know, doing the slightly different thing of not emceeing but speaking instead. Uh, uh, it's great. great to be here. Now, being in the same team, I, I know you have a very handsome newborn and I'm just <laughs> curious to know how you're coping with your fatherhood. I mean, there are just two things that I wanted to briefly ask you. Uh, firstly, have you seen any improvement in your nappy changing skills? <laughs> and secondly, uh, can you share with us just one joy and one challenge of spending the lockdown period with a newborn? Uh, sure. Uh, so have my nappy changing skills improved? Uh, I'd like to think they have, but it feels like a dynamic process. Uh, it feels like each time I get a, a handle on it and start improving, uh, he hits some sort of new developmental phase, like deciding rolling is fun while changing a nappy. So, you know, it, it, it keeps you on your toes. Uh, and so it was one thing that was, has been fun and one thing that has been challenging. I think the fun thing has been uh, as I'm working from home uh, and you kind of hear uh, Charlie, my, my uh, four, four and a half month old son, uh, laughing in the next room, uh, you can go and, and pop in and be part of that. Or if you hear him crying, I can easily pop in and, uh, and help Caitlin uh, out with whatever's going on. I think then the challenge is uh, it can be really hard to uh, get a good flow on with work sometimes. Uh, so because of that, you can kind of uh, get yourself uh, stuck as you keep running in to do things depending on what sort of a day he's having. So uh, it's a double-edged sword. It is a joy, um, but it has also contributed to some of the challenges of working from home. That's great, Lachlan. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'll now read some words from the Bible. Um, so today's reading comes from a book called First Peter, chapter one, and we're going to read the first nine sentences. And let me see if I can share my screen so you can all um, see what I'm reading. All right, from First Peter, chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, store, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Over to you, Lachlan. Thank you, Martin. Well, depending on when things started shutting down for you, uh, I think we're something like two and a half months into isolation. Uh, and it's been a challenging time uh, for some of us more than others. Um, but all of us have been changed uh, and are being changed by the crisis. Uh, did you know that COVID-19 has even impacted our language? Uh, the other night on Have You Been Paying Attention, they talked about several new words that have uh, entered our lexicon in response to changes that have been imposed by isolation and the way that we are living now. Uh, you may have heard of them, but I hadn't. Uh, zumping, which is of course dumping someone over Zoom, and I hope you haven't had to experience that. Uh, the Quarantini, a cocktail made from anything that you happen to have lying around in the cupboard. And of course, I'm sure we are now all well familiar with the wipe away, uh, the wave of your hand at the end of a Zoom call, uh, whether you're a across the facer, if you're a saluter like me, whatever it is, the wipe away. We have these phrases that have entered our cultural lexicon. But there's more fundamental changes, I think, that are afoot as well. You know, the phrase, the new normal, that is getting a good workout at the moment, it implies things will be different. And of course, the other thing that I keep hearing with increasing frequency over the last week or so is the question, how do you make the most of the crisis? We've moved beyond being excited about having time to start making sourdough. Uh, instead, we've actually recognised, you know, there's, there's opportunity. We're in a season of change. But it's also uncertain. There's still so many unknowns to grapple with. Uh, there have been so many struggles that we've faced over the past few months. It's hard to know how we can really be confident about anything today is, can we have confidence in the face of uncertainty? In case you missed Martin's welcome before, welcome to Bible Shots. I'm glad to have you joining us. I'm Lachlan. I work with City Bible Forum, uh, and I'm glad you are joining us at Bible Shots, where we set aside part of our day to consider what the Bible has to say to us. Because uh, as we look at the Bible, it actually raises big questions that each of us grapples with at some point in our lives. Uh, not Everyone who comes along to Bible Shots or who tunes in is a follower of Jesus, though many of us are. But as long as you're willing to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you here. Uh, now, the part of the Bible that we are looking at today is particularly addressed to followers of Jesus. So if you've tuned in and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, this is actually a really good chance to see well, what does the world look like through the eyes of someone who, who believes what the Bible says? 
particularly today as we think about confidence in the face of uncertainty. Uh, we're actually starting next week a new series, Jesus Versus Suffering. Uh, one of my colleagues, Rob Martin, is going to be taking us through uh, one of the biographies of Jesus and looking at how he confronts suffering and evil. And today's kind of a prequel. We're considering the words of Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus. And he's a really interesting person to consider as we think about this idea of confidence in the face of uncertainty. Because if you know anything about Peter, if you've read any of the stories before, you might know he's actually a man of shallow confidence. He was often one of the first people to speak up. He talked a big game, but when the pressure was applied, the confidence crumbled. Perhaps the best known example is when Jesus told his disciples that soon they would all abandon him. Peter exclaimed, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Yet only a few hours later, he was swearing an oath and calling down curses upon himself that he did not know Jesus. Shallow confidence. He seemed really impressive. He talked a big game, but when the pressure was applied, he crumbled. But advance the timeline another 50 days, and Peter has transformed into a man of rock-solid confidence. Uh, despite being threatened with death and flogging by the Jewish leaders for speaking about Jesus, he kept on doing it. Peter even rejoiced in the middle of suffering. And as we're going to see today, he was convinced that others who follow Jesus can do the same. Peter now had confidence in the face of uncertain and almost certainly tough times. Uh, so today we're considering how to have confidence in the face of uncertainty. And we're going to do that in three parts. Uh, first, we're going to consider serious trials. Then we're going to consider a living hope. And finally, a purpose to suffering uh, as we focus on verses three to seven of one Peter. And we're actually going to start looking at verse six, uh, where we see that there were serious trials that the people Peter is writing to were experiencing. Uh, they have gone through a challenging series uh, season of life. If you've got the passage in front of you, um, you can have a look at verse six. Otherwise, I'll read it out. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, we don't know precisely what they suffered, uh, all kinds of trials is pretty broad. Uh, it covers pretty much any difficult situation. But what we do know is that Peter is not talking about trivial difficulties. These trials caused grief for the people Peter is writing to. Whether they lost their jobs, their homes, relationships or, or something else, these trials were serious enough to cause grief. The people Peter is writing to, they've gone through a challenging season of life. But two things to already notice about this grief. Uh, one, it's time limited. And two, the people he's writing to can still rejoice. First, these are only time limited trials. Peter said, uh, even though you've had to suffer uh, these trials for a little while. Now, Peter's not speaking down to his audience. It's not like he's saying, oh dear, you know, who's got a whittle boo boo? Uh, no, he's reminding them to view these trials that have caused grief from the right perspective. These people have faced serious trials. They have caused grief. People are suffering. People reminds his audience, following Jesus changes their perspective on life. And what's more, this perspective actually allows them to rejoice, even in the midst of their grief and suffering. What is the perspective? Well, it's shaped by the hope that Jesus' followers have. Now, come with me back to the start of the passage, to verse three, 
we're going to look at a living hope. Verse 3, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the reason that Peter could rejoice in the midst of suffering, and he expects followers of Jesus to be able to as well, and can say that it's just for a little while, even when it's serious grief and it's causing suffering, is based in the hope that they have. Now, you might not be convinced that hope is that big of a deal, but it is. Uh, psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, well, he's written on the importance of hope in his classic book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he reckons that hope is essential for long-term survival in the midst of difficult situations. One of the ways that Frank, uh, Frankl noticed this was that in Auschwitz, where he was a prisoner, there was an abnormally high death rate in the week between Christmas 1944 and New Year 1945. It seemed that more prisoners died because they had actually expected to be home before Christmas. When they realised this was not to be, they completely lost hope in life beyond the concentration camp. Frankel observed, though, that people who survived actually had something to live for. Hope is essential for long-term survival in difficult situations. And Peter says, followers of Jesus, they have the best kind of hope. It's a living hope. The hope Peter is talking about, it, it grows stronger and more vibrant over time. See, in Viktor Frankl's observation, many people had the hope that they would be freed by Christmas, but when it became less and less likely that this would happen, their hope withered and died. But the hope Peter is talking about is completely different. Uh, it's a living hope. It's a hope that grows stronger and more vibrant as time goes by. It's like a tree that starts a seedling and grows into a big eucalyptus tree that gives shelter and nourishment to the animals that live in it. The hope Peter is talking about is a growing confidence and an eager expectation of what is to come. Whatever happens now, there's something better ahead. And Peter says followers of Jesus have a living hope. It's a living hope because it's certain and it's lasting. Uh, so first of all, it's certain because it's grounded in a historical fact. Followers of Jesus have a hope because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, if you've turned in and you're not a follower of Jesus, that might raise some questions for you. You know, is claiming Jesus raised from the dead really historically credible? Can anyone really prove it? And those are great questions. I'm happy to field some of those question times in Q&A time if anyone has them. Uh, but there's also lots of resources available to help you consider your, the evidence for yourself. I'm happy to point you to that as well. Uh, but for now, uh, keep listening as we think about, well, what would it mean? Keep thinking about uh, it, what we have to say now from the perspective of, well, what would it mean if Jesus was resurrected? Because if Jesus was resurrected, it actually means that the hope Peter is talking about is a certainty. When we're talking with people around our offices, uh, or over Zoom, if we were to say, use the word hope, we often mean something that we'd like to happen, but we've really got no idea about whether or not it will. You know, I hope I'll be allowed to travel internationally by October so I can take that holiday I've booked and paid for. But in the Bible, hope is very different. The hope that followers of Jesus have is certain. There's no question about whether or not it will happen because Jesus has been raised from the dead. God's 
planned end for the world, the thing that followers of Jesus are looking forward to, has already started. Hope in the Bible is a certainty. Hope is living because it's certain, but it's also lasting. Followers of Jesus have been born, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There's lots of things that we enjoy in this life, and granted some of them have been restricted in our access to them because of isolation, but regardless of that, even the best things in this world are perishable, spoilable, and they fade. There were some friends of my wife and I who were out of town when lockdown came into force. Uh, and a week or so ago, my wife went over to their house to water their plants and check on the place. And she discovered that their fridge had broken. The motor had perished. And as a result, so had all their food. Now, a bit of elbow grease and some open windows and the problem was largely solved. But ultimately, everything in this life is just like the food in that fridge. It will perish, spoil or fade. As good as things are, they don't last. Clothes can be eaten by moths. Cars can be eaten by rust. Our bodies will wind down and eventually stop working. The relationships we enjoy can be broken by ourselves, the other person in them, or sometimes even by a third party. Even when things don't break, their goodness fades. They wear out. They're surpassed by a newer, better version, or they just become part of the background of our day-to-day -day life. As good as they are, things of this world don't last. And Peter says that followers of Jesus are looking forward to something fundamentally different because they're looking forward to something that lasts. And finally, that inheritance, it lasts, but it's also protected. We see there in the end of verse four and verse five, the inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, followers of Jesus don't need to worry that they're going to miss out on what God has planned for them. First off, the inheritance that they're looking forward to is kept in heaven for them. It's like it's got a reserved sign on it. It's not like toilet paper or rice or flour that can suddenly be panic bought and you miss out when you need it. No, no, this inheritance has been reserved. It's kept in heaven for people who follow Jesus. But it's not just the inheritance that's protected. Followers of Jesus are being shielded by God until that future day when the inheritance is received. And that's an important thing to remember. Because if you're going through a time of grief-inducing in, uh, uh, grief suffering, one of the questions we can be tempted to ask is, has God forgotten me? But Peter, he assures his readers that they're actually being shielded by God. God still has their back. Whatever they are experiencing, God is keeping his eye on them. Well, we've seen that hope is essential for surviving times of challenge, suffering and grief. And we've seen that Peter says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a living hope, a hope that grows stronger over time because it's certain, it's focused on something that's lasting and protected. That's why Peter knows followers of Jesus can rejoice even in the midst of suffering and grief. Followers of Jesus have a living hope, a hope that changes their perspective on life. Because if life is really just about what happens between when you're born and when you die, then times of suffering and trial are devastating. They're robbing you of opportunities to experience the highs of life, to achieve great things and make a name for yourself. But, but Peter says, actually, 
following Jesus changes our perspective on life. These sufferings are ultimately just for a little while. And actually, if you follow Jesus, there's something far better that you are heading towards. But this perspective, it also changes the way that followers of Jesus think of suffering in their life, suffering itself in their lives. Uh, this perspective actually means that suffering has purpose and meaning. Have a look there at verse seven. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. At the start of the talk, I mentioned that one of the phrases I'm hearing more and more over the last couple of weeks is, don't waste the crisis. Now, I'm still a little hazy as to what people think a well-used crisis looks like compared to a wasted one, but it does at least show we want periods of hardship and trial to have meaning and significance. And Peter actually highlights, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that there is something good to come out of trials. Trials refine your faith. And when Peter says uh, the proven genuineness of your faith, he's using a word that actually, uh, it invokes the idea of being refined, being purified. And you see, back in Peter's day, if you wanted to get pure gold, you had to start with your impure gold, your lump of impure gold, and you threw it into a crucible with salts and iron sulfates, and then you'd crank up the heat. Uh, the salts and the iron sulfates would dissolve the impurities in the gold and could then be separated off, leaving pure gold. And what Peter is saying is that faith, trust in God, it's refined in these times of trials. Because as we go through trials, you know, we're confronted with the fact that actually some of the things that we build our lives around aren't lasting. They do perish. They are spoiled and they do fade. As we see the limits of these gods, we actually see with greater clarity that, well, God is trustworthy. Actually, God is someone that we can ground our hopes in. We can trust what he's promised. He is a foundation to build our lives on. I think you could say that a crisis has been well used when we recognise this. Suffering and trials don't feel praiseworthy, glorious or honourable. Uh, they are sad, painful, unimpressive and they can feel shameful. But again, Peter says, remember the big perspective. The suffering will pass. The time of honour and glory will come. So what does that mean for our big question, for confidence in the face of uncertainty? Well, today we've seen that what lies at the heart of Peter's confidence in the face of an uncertain future that's actually likely to bring more suffering and hardship. Peter says followers of Jesus can move forward in the face of uncertainty, knowing that we have a living hope, knowing that not knowing that 2020 is going to be trouble free, uh, that our personal success is just a few days away. No, whatever happens now, our end is secure and it would be far better than anything we could attain in this world. Not only that, but if or when we do suffer, we can know it's not without purpose. Times of suffering refine our trust. We might not know what lies ahead of us, but even if it is more suffering and grief, followers of Jesus could be confident that God is in control and working his purposes out. 
So to wrap up, what does this mean for us today and over the coming weeks? Well, uh, if you are listening and you're not a follower, uh, follower of Jesus, uh, I hope that you've gotten a sense of why there actually is something really attractive about the message of Jesus, uh, about viewing the world from the Christian at the Bible's perspective. The problem of suffering is one to grapple with, and we'll be thinking about it more carefully over the coming weeks. Uh, so perhaps one thing that you could do is actually join us next week as we start to uh, unpack these issues a little bit more carefully. But as well as that, over the coming you know, days or weeks, uh, maybe you could do a bit of a thought experiment. Uh, as you feel anxious or uncertain or fearful about what the future holds, uh, maybe you could consider how would I approach this situation differently if what we've seen in the Bible today is right? How would that be different to where I'm at now and if you think there is something good about this approach but you're not yet convinced uh, i'd love to encourage you to start reading one of the stories of jesus perhaps with uh, a follower of jesus who you work with or maybe you'd like to let us know via our online feedback form which martin will point to uh, in just a moment uh, but if you are a follower of jesus i think one of the things that we see in what peter has written is that as you face periods of difficulty and grief and uncertainty Remember the foundation that followers of Jesus have to actually view these events through. Remember how followers of Jesus are to view these events. We actually have a living hope. It's certain, it lasts, and it's protected. Additionally, when we suffer, it's actually not purposeless. And I think that actually allows us as well to grieve well and to address our uncertainty well. Peter affirms that these people have been grieved by what they face. It's right that they grieve, but they grieve in a way that acknowledges the hope that they have. I think it also means that when we're uncertain, we can, if you are a follower of Jesus, talk to the one who is in control and who is working his purposes out. Uh, remembering that, we, uh, that where we do have certainty is God's uh, planned future. And we can build our lives around that and keep giving thanks for what he has done for us in Jesus. Uh, I've run a little bit over time. So Martin, I'm gonna throw back over to you now. Thanks Lachlan. Um, in a moment, we'll um, have a, just a few more minutes to ask Lachlan some questions. And while you're gathering your thoughts, um, if you haven't done so already, may I encourage you to join our mailing list? Or if you wanna talk about what we've been discussing today or leave us feedback, uh, please jump onto citybibleforum.org and submit a form to Lachlan or myself. Uh, Lachlan, I've got one question here for you. Um, as you shared in your talk, uh, it's comforting to know that there is a purpose to suffering and that it gives us reasons to rejoice even in suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, but to be honest, I'm not really sure if I know how to rejoice in suffering. Do you have any tips on how we can suffer joyfully? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Uh, so how do we rejoice in suffering? Uh, and I, I think one of the key things to tease that out is to, to, to remember that actually uh, joy in the Bible, it's a little bit different to, I think, what we would talk about with joy if we use the word kind of in the office. Uh, I think you know, in, the, in the office uh, space, if someone talks about feeling joy, it probably means something like, you know, happiness dialed up to 11, just I'm really happy. But joy in the Bible is a little bit different. It's, uh, it's deeper and it's pervasive. And it's the sort of thing that you can uh, actually uh, remember in all seasons. So Peter talked about uh, 
we saw in the passage, the, the people he was writing to were grieved in all sorts of trials, but they still rejoiced. Uh, so that sort of says, okay, joy and grief aren't mutually exclusive. I think it means that when we're suffering and we're finding things hard, we actually still have something that we are able to be thankful for uh, and sometimes might actually give us a slightly different perspective. I don't think it means we suddenly, uh, you know, should expect I'm going to be instantly uh, happy and, you know, walking down the street, clicking my heels together. Um, and I think a really good example of a joyful song that you might not think of a joyful song. Um, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been around churches for a while, you might have heard of a, a song called um, It Is Well. Uh, it was written by a, a guy named Augustus Toplady. Uh, he wrote it in the wake of his, I think his wife and his children uh, drowning in a transatlantic Atlantic crossing, clearly grieving, clearly upset. Um, but the opening words are really telling. Um, this is when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you've taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul um, and if you've heard the tune you'll know it's not a it's not a happy tune it's a it's kind of a mournful tune but i actually think that is still a joyful song because it's recognizing even in the midst of grief there is actually something i can be thankful for uh, and that i'm glad of um, i might not feel it very much it might be you know just the the narrowest ray of sunshine in a in a really black experience i might not even feel that ray of sunshine but actually there is still something to give thanks for so i think joy in the bible is actually uh, quite broad uh, a lot broader than we might often think of it as um so yeah uh, i think that's how to answer that question martin thanks lachlan i'm afraid we're almost out of time um can you uh, tell us a bit about next week what's coming up next uh, we're starting a new series as you mentioned on jesus versus suffering uh, what can we expect next week yeah, so next week we've got Jesus versus suffering. And so uh, one of Martin's and my colleague, uh, Robert Martin, who uh, spends his time in the City Bible Forum office down in Melbourne. And if you listen to the Bigger Questions podcast, you'll be well familiar with his voice. He's going to be uh, taking us through Matthew's gospel and looking at what happens when Jesus confronts suffering, uh, looking at problems like suffering, like uh, evil. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, and he does, we're going to see Jesus doesn't just teach abstract principles about suffering. He lived and worked among people who suffered. He himself endured terrible suffering. And as we started to see today, uh, his followers actually then had a perspective on suffering that allowed them not only to survive, but thrive in really difficult situations. Uh, so we're going to be spending five weeks uh, unpacking Jesus versus suffering. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting and excellent series. I'm looking forward to it. Um, that's what we're going to be kicking off with next week. Thanks, Lachlan. That pretty much wraps up our time together. It's been great to have you join us. See you next Wednesday. Mm -hmm.